0: Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. All right, here we go again. We are in Philippians 1, 1 through 11 today, and it's going to be pretty exciting. You'll notice that I have cut down on the amount of verses we are going to do per session just because I've found from feedback that uh, sometimes they get a little long when you try to do entire chapters, which that makes complete sense. So we are going to do only 1 through 11, so the first uh, the first section of a little bit under the first half of Philippians, but I think a decent amount to really get everything uh, going uh, with this letter. As you remember, last time we spoke on, uh, just pretty much gave an introduction into the letter, the origin of the letter, uh, the the author authors even, uh, the context of, uh, Philippi, uh, the historical context, probably better said, uh, of Philippi, the Roman empire during that time and what the people were going through and that how, uh, that relates to us today in some ways. And so today we're going to, like I said, start in the actual letter and starting with chapter one, verse one and go through 11 and then, uh, in the following weeks, uh, wrap up, uh, Chapter 1 and then go into chapter the rest of the chapters of the book. So like many letters from Paul, this, this epistle is very personal. Uh, it's very um, instructive, as we learn very early on in the introduction, which Paul is, is a little bit unique in how he starts his introductions. His, his letters are very much Greco-Roman in style, so it would be very typical of how people would write letters back in his that time period. Uh, but he does actually add a few, uh, few additional items to his introductions that you don't see in some other letters during that time. And so we'll cover that as well. One thing we'll see as we go into this letter is that it is very pastoral. Some would say probably one of his more pastoral letters. Uh, he is very, uh, obviously very um, passionate towards this church, uh, the, the church in Philippi. It, of course, the church in Philippi doesn't mean it was a single building where everyone went to go meet. Uh, most likely, is is a several home churches uh, in that region. Even as we know from Acts, possibly even meeting along a river uh, for some of them. Uh, and so it was. It was not just. Let's, we can't think of it in the Western style uh, church, as in just a single church that he was visiting there in the city of Philippi. Is most likely, like I said, several churches or home churches. So as as we go through the first section of the Scripture here, well. As well as the rest of the book, we'll, we'll see that this is a um, a very personal letter for Paul, and it intermixes uh, Paul's own experiences that he's dealing with. Remember, most likely he is in Rome at this time. Uh, he has sent a letter after hearing word about uh, the Philippian church. He has sent a letter back to them, and he's what we'll see as we go through this is that he's including not only the the issues that he's dealing with, but he's also kind of intermixing that with the issues that the people in Philippi. Are also dealing with as well. And we'll see that through this. Uh, we can see, of course, a, a deep affection that Paul has, uh, that he aspires them to be uh, people of fellowship and he wants them to be close in fellowship with each other, but he also would like to be in fellowship uh, with them as well. <clears throat> from the introduction from, from last week, uh, the church in Philippi had a, a significant pagan and Roman imperial presence. So Paul, along with Timothy, and probably even Epaphroditus and and other leaders, uh, were attempting to model uh, what it was to be people uh, who lived uh, as believers in Christ in a pagan world. Remember, the imperial cult uh, was based on the Roman emperor and the idea that the Roman emperor was divine and that people should worship the Roman emperor. And and if they didn't, uh, those people were looked at as rebels and many times were punished for not worshiping, uh, or being a part of the imperial cult, so uh, it's it's a it's a it's a pretty rough time, or it could very actually potentially be a very rough time for people uh, in Philippi and the surrounding region of Macedonia, uh, if they were not people who would follow either uh, pagan beliefs that were going on during that time, and especially if they were not following along with the imperial cult. So, what we'll do to start off here is we'll read the first 11 verses of chapter 1 and, uh, and go from there and um, then we can have a discussion about uh, kind of a verse by verse discussion which is what we like to do when we do sessions like this so away we go so Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. It's quite a sentence. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's you plural, not you as individual. Uh, and I think sometimes on the western side of the church, we we like to think this is very in, much an individual Uh, conversation that's going on, and we take that as an individual, singular uh, way of that, but it's actually, he is looking for the transformation of the church, not just personal transformation, but transformation across everyone involved. It's it's more community-focused than a lot of times we like to look at it as. Uh, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart, since both in my Imprisonment and in the defense and confirmations of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me, for God is my witness. How long I for you all the affection of Christ Jesus, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So that's that's pretty much. Uh, You you see multiple things there. You see an introduction to the letter, which is typical of of these, like I said, Greco-Roman letters. You you see a lot of thanksgiving uh, of what Paul is thankful. He's obviously very thankful for this church and the people in this church. He's also uh, being able to provide them, starting to provide them with a model of, of how they are to live. And that's what we're going to be digging into here as we go through this. Uh, like I said, this is a typical introduction uh, for this time of period. Uh, most likely, some some would say I don't want to say most likely. Uh, Timothy was probably the secretary of this letter, which is why he's li- uh, listed listed early on. As in, Paul may have spoken this, and Timothy may have written it down, or maybe words that Paul spoke along the way, and Timothy eventually got down on paper. Or maybe Timothy had nothing to do with it, but he is a uh, a partner with Paul, and uh, and they're moving forward together, and they're both modeling. Uh, the way to live as as Christ believers. We see similar introductions like this in Romans and then also in 1 Peter. Of course, we know that Paul didn't write 1 Peter, but Peter wrote 1 Peter. But anyways, Peter uses a similar sort of, uh, I guess, formula in his letter, in his introduction of his letter. Uh, notice that Paul both describes him and Timothy as slaves, uh, not slaves as we think of as shadow slavery, but more of probably like a, a bond servants or servants to Christ. Uh, the word there is gosh. Uh Doloi, and, and this is a consistent with how he would describe himself to others as a bond servant or a servant to Christ. So also use a slave, and it really depends on what your uh, translation is uh, that you're looking at. One of the early church fathers, uh, John Chrysostom, uh, he who was the Archbishop of Constantinople in the fourth and fifth centuries, uh, would have written about Paul in this regard based on his idea of being a servant, and just to kind of see exactly what he would say. um, His point that Paul is trying to make according to John uh, is that as an apostle is called, but a servant is above uh, what an apostle is. That that as a singular devotion for a servant is to be a genuine servant to God and to serve no other. So uh, John would have said that, okay, you could be an apostle, Paul, which is fine, uh, but he also claims to be a servant, which is something that is even closer to God, someone who is completely sold out to God and will do everything that God has called him to do. Uh, some would argue that the most accurate way of interpreting the Greek here is "is bondservant, uh, as if they've sold themselves into servitude. So they have not been uh, purchased by somebody. Uh, like we, we're very familiar with here in the United States uh, from the past, but this is someone who has sold themselves to uh, someone else to serve uh, that person. One thing I always have to keep in mind, too, uh, is that Paul is a Jew, and Paul is very familiar with Old Testament history and how the, uh, the, the Jewish people uh, would look at the uh, tradition of a, of a bond servant. Uh, to, to Jews, a, a servant with someone in a position of honor and privilege. So it's not like you're the lowest of low in the household when you're the bond servant. Uh, you sometimes could be a person of very much uh, honor, privilege, and prestige. Uh, again, selling yourself to, or giving yourself, probably a better way to say, it, to whoever it is that you're the servant of. Uh, and this could be someone like, um, like a Moses or a David Isaiah, all were bondservants to the Lord based on how that has been interpreted in the past. So a few more things to uh, keep in mind about the idea of being a servant. Uh, As a slave to Jesus Christ, so we we like to use the word slave, uh, but again, like I said, slave, bondservant, servant, they're uh, all could be used in this case. Uh, He's fully showing his commitment and modeling that to the church. So he, he refers to he and Timothy as this, as a model. Remember through this, so first of all, Timothy and Paul are modeling Jesus Christ, uh, and then they're taking that model and then trying to expand it to the whole church there in Philippi. He'll bring this up again in chapter 2, verse 9, as well in chapter uh, 3, I think verse 11, and um, actually verses 8 through 11. And uh, he'll, uh, he brings that, this whole idea to us again. Uh, he ties leading and serving together by saying this, uh, much like Jesus, it seems Paul is equating sacrificial service, uh, with spiritual greatness, which is something that we would see consistent to be, uh, how Jesus lived, uh, within the gospels. Um, uh, one final point of this is the modeling of humility. Uh, re- remember where Paul came from. He, he did not come, he, he did not live a life early on, like, like Jesus did, uh, that very, um, Poor uh, carpenter slash um, craftsman style life. He he was someone who was well educated and uh, by one of the w- by one of the great teachers of that time. He was referred to himself as the Pharisee of Pharisees, which would have told us he had some sort of official position. And then reading in Acts, we see that he had some sort of authority level of authority to be able to persecute uh, Christians. So he, he's coming from a different direction or a different lifestyle than what Jesus came from. But at the same time, uh, he is he's obviously humbling himself in a way uh, to be a true servant to Christ. Uh, so this is a, a very much a, a divine pattern that we are called to do as, as, as Christ followers. As we move through uh, verse 1, we know that Paul is writing to to all believers, uh, not just a group of leaders, uh, just the, the men or just the women, uh, but to everyone who is there at the church in Philippi, uh, which most likely, as I said, would cover not only the city of Philippi, but that northeastern region uh, of covering of, of Macedonia. So it's a pretty expansive group that he is, he is writing to here. Uh, note, note the use of the word all in Greek. It's pas, p a s. That's how we'd say it, but you know, in Greek it's, of course, a little bit different. But some would say that this is uh, a call to the unity of the church. So using the word of all is a, is a word for unity for them during that time. And he'll use it, as, you'll, as, as you probably saw as we read through that, and if you look through it again several more times in following verses because he's really trying to uh, emphasize the level of unity that is needed within the church that he feels maybe having some divisiveness starting to be built in. So most likely Paul had heard of this disunity uh, from Epaphroditus. So we believe that Epaphroditus uh, was in Philippi and he uh, took most likely a a gift to Paul and also a word of what is going on in Philippi to Paul. He he delivers that to him uh, and Paul is, I guess, either interprets or hears that there's some disunity going on in the church in Philippi. And so he wants to write this letter. He writes this letter and it's understood that understood that Epaphroditus will bring that uh, will bring that back to the church. Uh, this will be addressed further in, in chapter two and chapter four. Uh, if you've studied first uh, Corinthians, you note that the church in Corinth uh, was fa- facing a similar issue that Paul addresses as well. So disunity is, is something that has been going on in churches since the very first. Churches and something that we are uh, called and directed to to be people of unity, uh, even if we don't fully agree on everything uh, or most things, that we are still to be unified in how we live. <clears throat> uh, there's many other. I mean, the uh, this introduction, which is why we're only looking at the first first eleven verses today, is 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 significant in its. Uh, the detail that Paul puts into it, and as I've said before, and in other classes that I've I've taught before, other groups I've taught spoken with, is that every word matters in the Bible because it, it's there's so few if you compare it to the rest of all the other worldly collections of of books. Uh, the Bible is is a large book, but it's also not a very large book in comparison to all the other books out there. But it's so the, the reason I bring that up is that each word really matters. Uh, one of the other words I want to bring up here is holiness or holy that's uh, uh, hagios uh, in Greek uh, it's also the the ones who are the holy ones or the or the saints and when you think of this as holy ones or saints it's not putting someone up on a pedestal as, as sometimes church traditions will do is they'll, they'll refer to someone as a saint and they they are then put up on a pedestal maybe above uh, your more uh, non what we refer to non-saintly people but everyone who is a believer according to Paul is a is a saint. And so this idea of being a saint is this idea of you being called to a, a holy life to, to remind them that they have been called to a holy life. And that is the way in which they should, should live. Uh, The the idea of holiness comes from the tradition uh, with, from Israel. if you remember, God called out the people of Israel to be a separate people. They were not very good at that, which is why we see all the issues that they faced throughout the old Testament Jesus Christ has come. He has been resurrected. Paul is now one of the leaders of the church, and now he's t- teaching people how to be separate from the ways of the world, not, not to leave the world, but to how to live worlds, uh, how to live lives that separate your, your actions, your activities, your holiness and righteousness from the rest of the world, is what he's looking at here. I know we spent a lot of time in verse one, but before we go, there's there's even more details I wanted to share with you guys. Uh, we need to address the, the overseers and the deacons. Overseers is another way to say elders. Uh, Paul will interchange these terms in other letters, uh, such as the one to Titus. So if you see uh, <clears throat> overseers, you can interpret that as, as elders as well. So elders was a an office of the church. And so uh, the, the two words, I mean, are the same when, it, when it's all said and done as we look through this. Uh, we know that the overseers slash elders were the ones who taught and nurtured the believers. We can get this from going back to Acts 20 uh, verse 28. Uh, we know here that he does not call out an overseer or el- elder like we will see uh, in the letters of Timothy or Titus. Uh, we will know here based on the context of the time and knowing uh, Lydia was an early believer there are in Philippi, if not the first, that the world overseer, uh, again, another word you could use is bishop uh, or elder, not like bishops as we talk about today, even though they do oversee uh, parts of the church, but bishop was probably more local to that congregation or a group of congregations within that area. Uh, so, like I said, it's probably not tied to like what we refer to as a diocese, uh, but more likely a, uh, a house church supervisor. So, a bishop, an elder, an overseer could be like a house church supervisor, not, a, not necessarily a pastor, though they could do pastoral work. And uh, deacons and elders, it seems, based on how Paul wrote, would go back and forth uh, in related to pastoral work and, and service. But deacons, as we know, was more service related, while elders were more teaching and, and nurturing. <clears throat> uh, the difference between the, the bishop, elder, slash, and deacon is not black and white, Uh, Sometimes we like to to do that because that's how our minds naturally go to is your duties and tasks or job descriptions, specifically this. And your Mr. Deacon is specifically this. And Paul didn't always look at it that way. Uh, Both could serve. uh, Both could lead. Uh, Neither was above or below the duties that needed to happen. So if if there were widows or orphans in need or someone in need, uh, an elder could step out and and take care of it, though it was officially the duty of the deacon to do that, Uh, Paul uh, it said that for the most part they were um, they could they could overlap in order to make sure the church uh, needed what it needed <clears throat> okay I think that's enough for verse 1 so uh, the rest of the verses actually go significantly faster but there's so much more so much in verse 1 that I wanted to cover uh, but these other ones for the most part will go significantly quicker as we move forward here so as we look at verse 2 Paul starts with uh, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what Paul is saying here is well beyond a, a wish of good luck and prosperity. Uh, it's, it's all about them having a life or living a life of grace and peace, which would have been difficult in those times just like it is today. It's, it's difficult for us to live in lives, uh, a, a life that is full of always full of grace and always full of peace, though that is our call to be people who are full of peace and full of grace. Again, this is not uh, human made uh, grace and peace, but only grace and peace that comes from God. We can, we can always act like we're people of peace and, and will ourselves to do that, but that's not what he's talking about. This is a peace that comes from our faith in God and how God provides that, that peace to it. Uh, this is significant to them based, again, on their historical context of their time. Uh, the idea of Pax Romana was a very real thing. Uh, and they were, as you, if, you, if you remember, uh, Philippi was a, a colony uh, for for uh, of Rome. And many Roman soldiers lived there, so it was actually a very patriotic colony uh, for Rome. Uh, and so you can imagine with that sort of environment, grace and peace uh, amongst ex-military Roman soldiers, uh, who were very much probably part of the imperial cult and very much wanting to enforce it because they were very patriotic in their, in their beliefs, uh, if they would see a group such as a, a house church meeting and not worshiping the imperial cult or part of that imperial cult, there was probably not a whole lot of grace and peace offered to those people. Uh, so for the church to hear Paul uh, to send the, the grace and peace of God and, and that they are to be thankful uh, for the grace and peace of God, uh, it'll help put them a lot at ease as we, as they, as they live their day to day lives. Because they knew that uh, they weren't there on an island. There were other believers out there. They also know they weren't on an island because God is with them, and so that would be very helpful. And so Paul wrote these very encouraging, encouraging words to them. And <clears throat> I remember with with Pax Romana, it, it was only Pax meaning peace, peaceful Rome or Roma peace or however you want to interpret that. It was only peaceful if you follow the rules, if you only follow the imperial uh, prerogatives and regulations. That's why it was relatively a well-run state uh, and, well, relatively peaceful if you followed the rules. But once you stepped out of line, the line uh, of the imperial rules and laws, uh, the Pax was no longer available until you got back in line or they killed you. And so that's, again, keep that in mind. So you're always living with that, they were, not you, but they are living with that tension of, okay, uh... Can we really serve um, the, our God in Rome? Because if we do and get caught, we could be killed, lose our livelihood, and that sort of thing. Uh, much like you see in some of our uh, some of the, our fellow believers uh, here in the world today. Uh, there, there are parts of the world where if you did get caught uh, worshiping God, uh, you could lose your livelihood. Uh, you could lose your life, your family, and everything like that. All right. Like I said, we're going to move a little bit quicker here. So we're going to look at the next section here is verses 3 through 11. And this is where Paul's, pretty, for the most part, he's wrapped up most of his introduction. And now he starts talking about thanksgiving and, and prayer uh, and pray praying for uh, the people of Philippi. <coughs> so the rest part of this chapter uh, will be a discussion. So beyond even verse 11 going on to the rest of afterwards, but we're not going to cover everything beyond 11 today, uh, there Was a discussion of Paul's communication to the church of Philippi uh, related to be how thankful he was for them, as well as for them to be thankful and prayerful people. We are all called, even today, even though it's hard to sometimes, I think, to be people who are full of thanks and people who are full of a prayer for what God has provided us. So we'll see here, this is kind of broken down in two sections, uh, verses 3 through 8, is about prayer and um, I'm sorry verses three through eight is about Thanksgiving and nine through eleven is God, uh, Paul talking about prayer uh, it is typical for Paul to start off his letters with Thanksgiving and prayer uh, if you were to look at Philemon uh, or Philemon and uh, I think it's uh, Colossians he, he starts out that way uh, like I said his, his letters all kind of follow the Greco-Roman the greco-Roman uh, pattern but they they aren't all exactly following that pattern which of course he has the Uh, ability to do and he could do if he wanted to Uh, he does uh he goes on to express the gratitude for the people uh he is he is writing to but also to help any calming nerves or animosity towards paul Uh, he sets the table for what could come across as a bit hard but approaches it with grace and the reason i bring up the animosity is sometimes he does come across a bit harsh and and sometimes people have infiltrated the church so paul's left and say so Paul helped plant philippi and now he's gone off to rome And what has happened, and he's warned about this, is that other people could come in and start teaching things that are opposite of what Paul taught and then saying, well, you know what? Paul really didn't know what he was doing. Paul actually misguided you. Oh, Remember what Paul used to do to the Christians uh, whenever he was uh, still a a Pharisee. And so they'd bring in this animosity. And so Paul is, so he's trying to do a few things. He's like coming in and saying, I'm trying to help guide you. I'm trying to uh, build that, continue to build that rapport with you. Uh, But it's because I understand that there are wolves and sheep clothing out there who are trying to uh, misdirect you and misguide you. So we have to to think that's also part of this conversation as well. We'll also note this in the Thanksgiving section. Uh, He'll highlight the key points that he'll hit upon uh, as we go further into the letter. So Paul, in his introductions, typically will have uh, a foreshadowing of what it is that he is going to be saying uh, uh, or what he's going to be writing about. Uh, through the rest of the letter, So this prepares them for what they should be hearing. Uh, verses three and four, Paul begins his thanksgiving, but we're reflecting on his time uh, with the, F- uh, the Philippian congregation. As he prays for them, he seems that he is flooded uh, with emotion. He's also flooded uh, in and memory, memory, remembrance and memories of their time together when he was with the church. Uh, we know that Paul's life centered around prayer. If you read any of his other letters, He's always talking about prayer. If you go into uh, Acts and reading about Paul's journeys, missionary journeys, you'll see there's a lot of prayer tied to them. And as he prays for them, it seems he is continuing to build his relationship. And that's one thing. As we pray for people... Uh, people that we know closely or people we may not know closely what you'll learn is that as you pray for somebody uh, you form a bond with that person and uh, say if they're if they're sick or or if they need uh, guidance or if they, uh, they they have family members who are sick or ill or if they're looking for uh, some direction in life or whatever they need I and mean, there's so many things that we we face uh, and if we pray for people you'll notice that there's that bond and Paul knew that and he's forming that bond uh, with the the church there in Philippi. Uh, But the thing is, besides praying for them, and we'll see more of this at the end of this chapter, uh, Paul also asked for prayer in return because he knows the strength of prayer. So even though there's times where it feels like maybe prayer is going against the deaf ear, uh, it it is not. Uh, God, God hears what we are saying, of course, and He will be answered in God's timing in the way that God Sees. But prayer is what develops our relationship, not only with other people as we pray for them, but with God, of course, as well. Uh, a key word that Paul brings up as we look through, I look. this looks like right into verse 4 there, is the use of the word joy. It's uh, kara, chara, C-H-A-R-A, uh, in Greek. It is throughout this letter in various uh, versions, uh, you'll see joy, you'll see rejoice, uh, you'll see rejoicing, uh, you'll see rejoice with all coming from that basic root word for joy. Uh, and we'll see it actually about 16 times in this letter. So Paul is, 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 is also, besides prayer and thanksgiving, is also trying to express uh, and rejoice in, in who God is and who in this church is within God. Uh, so as also some, some people have actually referred to this as a joyful epistle. Uh, again, remember most likely Paul was writing this letter Uh, from rome and was most likely also imprisoned and in chains not a place that you would consider to be a place of joy Uh, not a place where you typically want to be rejoicing but as we see again as we'll see later on in verses 18 and 19 he rejoiced and was full of joy uh in the fact that the gospel continued to spread not only in philippi but also in the surrounding region and not not only this rain region around Philippi, but in, in Asia and, and, and now in Rome, where Paul is, and how excited he was when he went, ended up in Rome, and he saw uh, that there were already believers there, and that that church was growing there as well. So, why is joy so important? Uh, as we'll see in chapters four. Uh, uh, chapter, just only chapter four, actually, chapter four, verses four through five and 10 through 13, uh, as well as if you went to uh, another book, uh, Romans, the letter to Romans, uh, five, two through five, uh, to rejoice, to be full of joy was the, the fruit of the spirit. So Paul believed that joy was a fruit of the spirit and it was necessary to get beyond the pain and the oppression and through the different circumstances that they were facing during that time, it would give them strength. And that was Paul's hope. As he was writing this letter, uh, verse five, uh, Paul continues to show uh, why he is thankful for the church in Philippi as they were ongoing partners in the faith. <clears throat> that, that's what you see there when he says in view of your participation, so your partnership in the gospel from my first day until now. So it's from time he helped plant the church or was part of that church plant when he was working with Lydia and the other people of of that area and they were planting that church. They have been partners in the faith and Paul is is very thankful for that and their ongoing and continued faith and he encourages them to want to have uh, that faith. Uh, Remember the Church of Philippi has been very active in this partnership. Uh, They have been not only praying for Paul but they've also been financially supporting Paul even though Paul was a tent maker, and he was, um, <clears throat> he, would, he would do what he could to make his own money as, so he wouldn't put a burden on the other churches. Churches would continue to give to Paul to help him on his missionary journeys, and Paul remembers that, and as the, the gift from Epaphroditus was brought to Paul uh, from the church in uh, Philippi, he, he was grateful for that and thankful for their ongoing uh, partnership. <clears throat> But another thing that he's, he's, he's grateful for and thankful for is that it's not just the gifts that they provided or the prayer they provided it is that they've been continuing to to spread uh, the gospel. And it was it was ongoing and continuous. And of course, that's what Paul was really rejoicing in. He he could survive uh, without the, the financial gifts. And, and the prayer was secondary to him, actually, it seemed compared to spreading the gospel and then spreading the gospel to the rest of the world. Uh, one of the words that you we, we would see here, be familiar with, uh, to kind of show the intensity of this partnership, is the word "koinonia." You guys have probably heard that uh, before, and that again, that ties to chapter four as well, verses 14 and 15. And the, the word can be translated as a, a deep and significant partnership or fellowship, showing a, a deep, close relationship with um, with Paul and the people in Philippi and not, and also just the people within themselves, uh, they were growing a very deep fellowship. <clears throat> so it's beyond, like I said, this, this partnership was beyond just some philanthropic help that they were giving Paul. Instead, it believed that they, they all had a common commitment to the gospel. Uh, they were all going and moving together in the same direction to serve God. Uh, <clears throat> There's uh, the kind of a, so koinonia being kind of probably the root of, of this of this fellowship partnership. He uses uh, sin koinonian, which means uh, with Paul. So sin, uh, S-Y-N in, in Greek is, is with. And so with fellowship, with partnership. Again, it just adds even more emphasis to what uh, this partnership is doing. Uh, to Paul, and, and it seems also to the church in Philippi, it was all about the gospel and it's the central theme of this letter and the central theme of most letters that Paul wrote is the spreading of the gospel. As we know, the, the, the Greek word for gospel is <coughs> euangelion. Uh, it, it, it does not have the same, uh, I think the same spiritual connotation. Uh, we use it today. In Paul's day, uh, this, this word uh, it could be Yuan you and it depends on how it's being used. Uh, it, it could be uh, very much political overtones. And, and, and as it meant glad tidings to them at that point, it meant we, we refer to it sometimes as good news. Uh, he would refer to it as possibly glad tidings, could be another way to interpret it, uh, which was used closely with the Roman emperor when the Roman emperor ascended to the throne. Uh, uh, this was, to them, the Romans, this was good news to them. And so they would say this when, when the Roman emperor ascended from whoever they were and whatever station in life they were in to ascend to the throne. This is something that you see as kind of a Paul contrasting, well we are spreading the good news of Christ, uh, of who Christ is and of the gospel, and that by far surpasses uh, the ascension of the Roman uh, emperor thinking that he is entering into a divine position. So the people would understand that this is actually kind of a little bit of a political thing that Paul is doing here. And maybe I don't think that you could say he's poking the bear necessarily, but he's, he's, he's making a point that you can say the imperial cult is leading for it, uh, is serving a divine emperor, but truly it is, is actually us, the, the people of the Church of Philippi, uh, you people the Church of Philippi who are serving the true, true divine God, the true divine king. Let's go to uh, verse six. Uh, we see a little bit of confidence from Paul here uh, this the good work that God has begun in them will continue on until the day of Christ Jesus. That last part of verse six is sometimes interpreted a little bit differently. We'll cover that just a little bit here in a second but Paul's not only grateful for the fellowship of the church he also believes that God would continue to work in the church in Philippi. He also he believed that God would continue to work. Uh, in all the churches that he was a part of, or all the, the, the groups of, of believers that he was a part of. But it's, we're, of course, focused here. So even while, again, being imprisoned, most likely in Rome, Paul believed that he and the church of Philippi would continue to do a good work in the region, that, that chains would not keep Paul from doing uh, the work that God had called him to do. And it's the same for us today. There's, there's many things, distractions, uh, that will a lot of times get in our way. And it keeps us from doing what we're called to do, and that is to spread the good news of who Jesus is, to do the good work that we have been called to do. Uh, They are to continue to depend on the Lord and not lose their spiritual verve. They are to to continue to be bold in in their faith. Uh, Not bold in a mean, I'm going to beat you up if you don't believe what I say, or I'm not going to be your friend anymore, or I'm going to try to speak over you or yell over you bold. But bold is, even though they're going to push back against us because we don't believe the same thing they believe. We're going to continue to love them. We're going to continue to be people of love and grace and mercy uh, and be people, continue to be people of prayer. None of those words are words that we're going to uh, ostracize them. We're going to, we're going to kick them out. We're going to hurt them in some emotional, physical, or mental way. It is, we will be bold in our love. We'll be bold in our mercy. and We'll be bold in our, in our grace is what he is talking about here. <clears throat> And as we look at one other thing here, the, 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 just a brief explanation there in verse 6 of the day of Christ or the day of the Lord or the day of Jesus Christ, you've probably heard many different versions of that, uh, depending on which translations you have and which letters or books of the Bible that you're reading. Uh, we know that in prophetical Testament text, uh, the day of the Lord was a day of divine judgment where Israel would be subject to, uh, of, of course, a, a, a judgment from, from the Lord. Paul here is looking at that day uh, as, as a day of salvation for those who believe. Uh, it's a, a day of salvation, a day of uh, redemption um, for those, again, like I said, who, who believe, who remain faithful, uh, a day of wrath for those who turn away from God. So everyone is judged on that day, the faithful and the non-faithful. Uh, but we'll also see that is also will be a day of salvation and a day of redemption for those who do believe. And unfortunately, a day of wrath for people who have uh uh, consciously turned away from from God. Uh, <clears throat> As we go to uh, verse 7, uh, Paul continues his thanksgiving uh, for the church. Uh, he continues to uh, <clears throat> look at them and, and, and believe in them and know, and, and it is, it, it, it continues to see uh, that they are all on the same page. I think, I think that's where he's going with through this, is for it is only right for me to feel the way about you all because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. As in, hey, we're all going in the same direction here. We're all, you know, same drumbeat, marching in the same drumbeat. I don't want to use military terms because I don't like to use that in the gospel, but maybe you can think of it just as a band uh, marching together uh, and, and going forward uh, together in, with one one accord, one 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 direction of, of grace and love. Uh, and bringing the good news. Uh, Paul thinks throughout the letter that Philippians and here are moving in the same direction. This could also be looked at as they're all moving in the same direction with what Jesus taught when he was on earth. And so Paul, like I said, Paul is trying to model how Jesus was here on earth. Uh, Paul and Timothy are coming to Philippi, probably with Epaphroditus, even with possibly Lydia, trying to model to those people what it is to live and to make sure that they're all living accordance to what Jesus had taught. So he's modeling that to the entire community or hoping to model that to the entire community. Uh, Paul relates with him uh, when he speaks of the imprisonment that he is in. Uh, they are partners and participants, even though he is in Rome, which is probably a walk of about or a journey of about three weeks. Uh, he, Even though he's in chains and they're hopefully most likely not, they're still going in the same direction, though he's not local to Philippi at the time. He's still praying and helping the church in Philippi continue to advance (laughs) uh so paul is paul is facing the same sort of imperial opposition in rome as the people in philippi are facing as well from the people of rome uh as we go into verse 8 and then we'll be wrapping this up as we go from 8 through 11 uh paul says for or writes for god is my witness how long how i long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Uh, as we see here and in and, and, and the following verses and reflecting on what we've already been said by Paul, written by Paul, Paul's only concern for himself is based on how he is being hindered from spreading the gospel. Like I said, he, he the gospel's still spreading. It's still, it's still expanding beyond what he taught there when he was in Philippi. It's still expanding even though he's sitting there in Roman chains he's, it's expanding. That's then, and that's happening. He just hopes it was expanding more quickly, uh, he, that he wouldn't be bound right now, but at the same time he is. And yet he's showing, uh, to the, to the people here, uh, that, that he still, that the affection that he has still has for them and, and that he will continue to offer prayer for them because even though he can't be standing there with them, he is praying for them. And we'll see that in the next three verses, like I said three through eight was about Thanksgiving nine through eleven is about uh, prayer we we witness, here, we witness here that this letter uh, shows the, the most care and commitment uh, than Paul really showed in any other letter uh, to the church is that he wrote to uh, at least letters that we know of he could have written multiple letters to uh, the Philippians uh, but we have one that we can work with now some people would argue well it's it's one that had been probably cobbled together for multiple letters but I, I, we discussed that last week. I don't think that's true. I think this is a singular letter. And he could have written others, but this is the only one we have to make that reference uh, of, of knowing of how committed Paul was to the church in Philippi. Uh, there's a like a level of severity of how, how much he cares. He hears for them... With so much love and affection, it just kind of oozes out of this out of this letter. Uh, the word here that he's using is uh, it would be splencon, uh I'm sure what kind of accent that was, but anyways, splencon, uh was was an idea of your your entrails, your insides, uh, bowels, the the heart uh, of Christ, which tells them this is a love for them that is. A, uh, some would say this is an extension of Christ's love to them. It's an intense, deep, deep love that he has for them. And like I said, it is showing that if this is the intense, deep love from the heart of Christ that is coming to them, uh, Paul is, is desperate and desired to continue the ministry of Jesus while Jesus was on earth, but while as long as Paul is available and on earth to be able to to do that with a deep level of compassion and passion for what he's trying to do. Okay, so verses 9 through 11, uh, we get a, a the beginning of a blessing that Paul is uh, is saying over the Philippian church as you start there in verse 9. Uh, it is odd that Paul is offering prayer in this letter as he typically uh, does not. It, it seems like he's a very prayerful person, but he doesn't pray within the letter itself. He will he'll say he's praying for them or has been praying for them or has been praying for somebody else and other people, but he doesn't offer uh, the, the prayer itself. So this is just a little bit odd that, that Paul is, is doing that here. The way this is written, and of course, for those of you who are really into Greek grammar, uh, he is praying not only presently, but continually uh, praying and praying into the future for the people in Philippi. He's, he's not, it's not one of those things where, okay, I'll pray for you. Uh, he does a prayer and then he's not praying for them anymore. This is an ongoing, continuous Prayer that he has for them, uh, showing uh, the the love of Christ that he has for them. Uh, some people could refer to this as this type of love as a agape love, uh, that very deep, intense uh, love that he has. But it's also what we'll see here as a, at the end of verse nine, you see knowledge and discernment. Uh, the, these words again are showing uh, this love is uh, is more of also about the reasoning along with intellectual understanding of who. Christ is so you you know who Christ is, you know so deeply who Christ is, and it gives them a direction and a purpose that they have the knowledge of Christ. Uh, Paul Paul did not meet Jesus as far as we know, but he, enough people in that area at that time would have either known well actually probably not in that area, but Paul would have known people who would have known and understood that and would have been able to help explain. This, this deep knowledge and understanding, this intellectual understanding. So it's not only about feelings and emotions. There's also an intellectual understanding of who, who Christ is. Uh, verse 10 kind of helps explain the question about why is Paul asking them to pray with uh, <clears throat> wisdom and perception, or depending on if you have knowledge and discernment. Uh, it, it is so that they will they'll focus on the things that matter to furthering the kingdom, to focus on the main things and not the distractions. The, the gospel is the main thing. There's a lot of other things that can distract us that are in the Bible that helps point, kind of uh, as N.T. Wright would say, there's signposts to certain things uh, that would help us come closer to Christ. But it's not they're not major things, uh, and a lot of times we get caught up in the minors and we forget that you know there's really. To, to to do the, the Shema to love God with all our heart to love to love our neighbors uh with all our heart that that is that is those are the majors uh some of this other stuff that we do such as egalitarianism versus complementarianism that's that's minor stuff and can be a distraction and actually can harm harm the church and so that's why they're to pray with knowledge and discernment as they go through this <clears throat> he also one other thing he wants them to be is he wants them to be blameless. The people of Israel, unfortunately, were not blameless people. They got caught up in the things of the pagan world and had a lot of issues because of that. Paul wants them to be blameless so that uh, that those who are watching will not have an excuse to walk away from, from God, uh, will not have an excuse to walk away from the gospel. They're not say, well, you know, that guy over there, he's kind of obnoxious, or that guy over there, he, he's cheating on his wife. Uh, he claims to be a, a follower of Christ, but I don't want to be around people who are doing that. And so I'm just going to walk away from the gospel altogether. So he's helping them to be to live as people with discernment. <laughs> um, or that person's very argumentative. Uh, every time I see them, they have some sort of political argument they want to make. And there's zero grace, and there's zero love, uh, and there's zero mercy tied to it. And I don't want to be a part of that. And so that's why we are called to be people of discernment as well, know when to say something and also know when to not say something. We could say that the, the ethical aspirations uh, here that he has written about are tied to his own Christological convictions. Uh, There to be a a separate people, uh, like I said, marked for purity, uh, the uh, marked with purity before God, that as they can approach God uh, before they return to Christ, much like the people of Israel would have been if they would have lived people of separate, pure lives. <clears throat> so just like them at that point, at that point of their that time, that contextual time, that that history, uh, there to live uh, vigilant and diligent, uh, to be mindful of the righteousness of Christ, and that's what we were called to uh, as well. There be to be filled with the fruit of the righteousness from God, uh, and this comes from us knowing and our desire to seek Christ. And if, if that's our number one desire, then a lot of this other stuff kind of fills in. But if if our desire is to be right, uh, and our desire is not to have any discernment just because we want to be right, and we want to we want to make a point, or if we want to uh, to sh- think we are going to make someone be quiet, uh, or, 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 or someone's going to automatically jump to our side if the next time we make a, some sort of quippy statement uh, out of anger and wrath, or just out of spite, that, that is not further to the gospel, and that's what Paul's trying to explain to them there and what he's trying to explain to us here. He, he's not writing out, this is how you're supposed to act on Facebook today. That's not what the Bible's for. But the Bible is to help us see have uh, discernment and guidance and wisdom and understanding of who we are to be as a people who are set apart for Christ. And so that's where we're going to end uh, today. Uh, we will start with uh, verse 12 next time. And I imagine we'll probably wrap up chapter one just because it's really not that many verses to go uh, after we start that next time. And so I hope everyone has a good rest of their day and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.